Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 starting with verse 11 and the last time the message was titled divine intervention needed here you know I love when Jesus does these teachings you know when people can read the Bible superficially and say wow that made me feel good it was and listen it's designed to minister to our soul to our emotions many things in the scripture However, there are things that Jesus asks us to do that almost seem like the impossible. To love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. Um, So the disciples, after Jesus' teaching, you know, to get them to step up and, you know, really represent the faith and do these things, they said, Lord, increase our faith, because they realized that these things are not easy. 2,000 years later, they're still not easy. Right? That's why we need to have a daily walk with the Lord, be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we can do these things. And I will say this too, that sometimes we can be the difficult ones, and we want mercy from somebody that we've wronged. Maybe we had a bad day, maybe it was a bad season in our life, and we hope that person forgives us. So it's a beautiful thing in the community of faith, this reciprocity that Jesus speaks about. Today, the message is titled, The kingdom of God is within you. I believe it's verse 21. Jesus speaks about it. It's an unusual phrase that he shares to an unusual audience. But we're going to really take this apart and look at what he's talking about. And then you may say, well, and as some people have said, I I read ahead. Jesus is cleansing 10 lepers. Where are you going with this? We're going to have a lot of fun with this. And we're going to check this out in four parts. So, jumping in to Luke 17, verse 11, it says, Now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, Show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where there are not any found who return to give glory to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So one out of four is ten lepers cleansed. They're healed. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, but it doesn't stop him from doing ministry. And Jesus really gives us an example of everything in life. He was God in the flesh. So everything he did, even physically, was an example to us. And even though he probably had the crucifixion on his mind, he knew he had to die for our sins. 
he still had time to stop and bless people and do ministry. And what a great lesson that is to us today. You know, sometimes in the busyness of life, even those in the Christian culture, all the situations have to be perfect for them to actually do something, to volunteer, to serve the Lord. And listen, life happens. In John 16, Jesus told us that we have tribulation in this life on this side of eternity, but we still serve the Lord anyway. And we have to know that balance. So he makes his way through Galilee and Samaria. And just to listen, if we if I was teaching a history course in any culture, I would give you the context. What was going on at the time, right? Um, so you had the situation where there was a, a prejudice between the devout Jews and the Samaritans. Now, not all of them, right? No one is a monolith. But you had this situation where the devout Jews looked at the Samaritans as people that mixed with foreign cultures so much that they be- believed their faith was fractured and that they didn't really worship the true God. And the Samaritans owned some of that. But they felt of the devout Jews, boy, they're really judgmental. They're really haughty. They're really arrogant. They treat us like second-class citizens. And that was also true, right? Um, so it makes it more remarkable that there were nine and the Samaritan. We're going to get into that. The ten men were lepers. They had, and I spoke of Hansen's disease uh, before, so I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but there's been a lot of great uh, recoveries and uh, you know, great things done in the name of science with a triple antibiotic that, that cures this once very dreaded uh, disease. But here's the irony, is that in any village, ten men could come together and start a synagogue. Pretty neat stuff. People start coming, and they would, people would worship the Lord, the men and the women, the children, etc. However, because of... Now, this is remarkable, too. I actually covered this during COVID. Uh, Leviticus 13 and 14, before the microscope, the laws of the contagion. God knew about microbes, bacteria, fungi viruses he knew about transmissibility so god in his word this is remarkable this is how i teach people god is real because this is way before the microscope especially the electron microscope so the god ordered the people who were had the contagion to be quarantined they had a self-quarantine they had to keep their distance right the droplets in the breath and the, and the saliva and all that kind of stuff to cover their face interesting stuff Um, So these things were to take place. So these men had to, by law, if they had to talk to somebody, they had to cry out. They had to raise their voice because they had to love the people enough not to get them sick. So they cried out to God for mercy. But this very interesting is that they had a synagogue of sorts where there were ten of them. Interesting number. Why Why is that chosen here? Interesting number, and they sort of had their own worship kind of set up because their life depended on them being healed. So they go to God, the ten of them together. So it was a a synagogue of sorts, you could say. Um, And I wonder sometimes, would they be close to God if they weren't sick? I wonder sometimes, and I can just speak for myself, I'm not here talking at people from this pulpit, that I think the closest time in my life was a few years after I got saved and I, had, I was going to doctors and holistic people and there was something wrong with me and nobody could figure out what it was. But it lasted a season. 
And I can tell you, I think I was the closest. You're really close to God when your life is depending on it. So I, I can't criticize these guys too much. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love to pray. I love to read the Word. But you're on your face when you are faced with something that could take your life. So powerful stuff. Of course, Jesus ministers to their needs. Um, verse 14. So Jesus sends them to the priest for inspection according to Mosaic law. And the way it works is, and this is kind of cool because there's just a lot of details here. And again, I don't think there's anything in the Word of God that's here that's not for a reason. right? Why the details? Well, according to the Mosaic law, if you... There was this, you know, you're suspected of having leprosy, especially suspected of being healed. You could go to the priests and they could inspect you and they could say, yeah, you're good. You can integrate back into society. This is a miracle. This is wonderful. So he sends them on their way. And it's very interesting in the text. Jesus did a lot of healings like that. He spoke a word. He didn't have to snap his fingers or anything. Spoke a word, person's healed. In this particular instance, he says, go your way and go to the priests. They still had leprosy. So as they're walking, was it a mile, two miles, ten miles? Were they having a discussion? Hey, Bob, what do you think? I still got those spots on my arm. I don't know. You think that this is the real deal? At some point before they hit where the priests were, they were completely clean. Why did Jesus do that? Well, we'll look at this a little bit more into detail. However... One person, the Samaritan, he's healed. He goes back to find Jesus. Now that's remarkable because Jesus didn't have a cell phone that he could ping. right? He couldn't look at the satellite image. Oh yeah, Jesus is there. He's walking on this path. But boy, this guy was determined to find Jesus. And what I love about it is Samaria, Galilee, well, they're north of Jerusalem. So Jesus is heading south. He goes through this region. He's confronted with these ten men. Sends them on their way, most likely ahead of him, because now they have to go south to reach the priests. So they get healed, and the one guy is so determined, he's backtracking. Jesus is going south. They're going south. They run to the, where the priests are. They're inspected. You're clean. The one guy goes back north again i got to find Jesus. i got to tell Him thank You. i got to glorify God. Are we that excited to find Jesus? You know, we live in a country with so many freedoms while our brothers and sisters overseas are suffering persecution. Do we have all those Bibles in our libraries and a coffee table that are just collecting dust? You know, do we just get so busy with American life that we forget to pray? That we forget to seek Him? Hey, this man... Jesus was new to him, and he was determined to find him. And we have to ask ourselves as believer, believers, do we take our relationship with the living God for granted? Just questions. As they went, they were healed. Right? In other words, Jesus was saying, go, head out, and trust me. Now that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because some of them could have turned around and started walking and said, I still see the spots. I don't know if this guy is is really who he says he was. Well, of course, he, he was. But I, can't, I can imagine the thought processes that were taking place, the discussions on the road. But he wanted them to go and to trust him. Now, today, a lot of times, uh, people have the attitude that they want to see something first. 
Remember in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 5, Naaman the Syrian, the high and mighty military commander of Syria, who has leprosy, and his servant, right, says, you should go to Israel. There's, a, there's, a, you know, there's basically there's a prophet there, Elisha, and he's, he's got a close line to God. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. So Naaman goes there, proud man. He's a military commander, and Elisha doesn't even come out of his, his little hut. He sends his servant out there. I think it was a test of the man's pride. And he says, go wash into the, dip into the Jordan, you'll be healed. And Naaman is flipping out. And he's like, wow, there's better rivers in Syria. And the guy's not even coming out to meet me. And basically, again, it's the servants who had to tell him. They're the ones with the wisdom. Just go do it. Go do what he says. And he goes and he dips in the Jordan and he's healed of the leprosy. You know, I wonder sometimes if pride... And self-determinism sometimes can keep us from blessings in life. Amen? You know, in American culture, listen, I was in law enforcement for 25 years, proudly served, the Constitution and all that jazz, fun stuff. Uh, but we have to be careful of conflating the American dream and our freedoms with what does the gospel say? Because sometimes they clash. And we can be prideful and do things and miss a blessing because we're being too prideful and too self-determinate. So we continue on. Verse 17, there's some great lessons here, right? Jesus is basically asking, where were the others? Now, Jesus didn't ask a question that he didn't know the answer to. He knew where the other nine went. They went back to their old lives, right? But he asked, were there not ten? Where's the gratefulness? Did they go back to life and forget about God? You know, sometimes people today have this attitude towards God that He's sort of a genie in the bottle. That, you know, you, you want Him to come out when it's a near-death experience, and then when He saves you, uh, you go on with your life. Now, first of all, if you think God is a genie in the bottle, that's blasphemous. But I'm just giving sort of a, a symbolic gesture of how people are. And I have to be honest with you, in my old life, I was part of a religion, I wore a crucifix, but I didn't know God. And... I'm ashamed to say, but I use it as a testimony that that probably was me. I called on God when I felt I needed Him. I knew He was there, but I really didn't have a relationship with Him. Obviously, things are different today, you know. So, um, some some pretty pretty neat things here. B is the only one who returned was the dreaded Samaritan, right? Here's the guy who others had low expectations on. Well, he's a Samaritan. You know, they don't really care about God that much. They water down the the truth of the teaching of Scripture. But here the Samaritan is, he's compelled to go back to Jesus. And I just want to encourage you today, you might be here this morning, you might be watching on the live stream where you're that person in the family that everyone thought was not going to make it in life. You're the person who people had low expectations on. You're the person who is the so-called black sheep of the family. You know what? Prove them wrong. Prove them wrong this morning. Turn to the living God. And quite frankly, it, it doesn't really matter what others think of you. It matters what God thinks of you. And if we screwed up our whole life and at some point in our life come to the living God, that is a success story by any metrics. So, um... Prove them wrong. 
It was the Samaritan that Jesus was amazed by. You know what I'm saying? He was probably, I could just see him smiling when he looked at the guy coming uh, into his focal view. Uh, C, did the nine go their separate ways? Did they go their separate ways? It's so interesting, isn't it, that we can be such self-made people. And then when we run into trials, we need others, don't we? We need people. That's how God has designed communities. The community of the church, the community of family, neighbors. And even God says that even if you're rejected by your own family, that He'll put you in a spiritual family. He'll put you with other children of God. And that's the beautiful thing. So, you know, we're desperate for fellowship. You know, I I say this. Let's go back to the idea of... I think it's fascinating that the nine were with the Samaritan and they all did things in harmony when society said, you guys shouldn't be together. I kind of think about that when I watch TV and the news. You know, I feel like I'm up here to kind of deprogram people from watching too much television. Because seriously, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, Because they try to divide us all the time. They just find new camps to put us in. Black, white, Republican, Democrat, you know, Christians, Muslims, Jews. They just love to do it. But when there's a tragedy, you realize you don't care what the other person looks like. You don't care what they believe. They're another human being. And James and I were talking about that one lesson where I talked about if you're drowning, right? There's these storms all over the Midwest and the East Coast. And we're seeing so many more storms and flooding in the United States. And if you're in your car and it gets swept up and you're trying to get out of your car and you're going underwater and some person reaches into that water to grab your shirt to pull you to safety, you don't care if it's a black hand, a white hand, a tattooed hand, missing fingers. You don't care if they have uh, little wristbands of political things that don't agree with yours. All you know is that hand came down to grab you to pull you to safety. Amen? Amen. That's right. So, um, I say this. This is something I came up with. Prejudice is a luxury only afforded when there are no trials. Let me say that again. Prejudice is a luxury only afforded to people when there are no trials. When the rubber, I just love watching the videos of people coming together. They got pickup trucks, they got electric cars, they're, you know, they're this, they're that, and they all come together to help each other. So you see that here too. You see that here too. However, things get better again and the nine disappear. Where do they go? They go back home. They go back to their family. Not a bad thing. Hey, look, honey, I'm healed. I don't have to be away from you and the kids anymore. Great. But did they give glory to God? D, if they went their separate ways, was it the healing that broke the bond that they shared? I need to be careful with this one. Healing is a good thing. Healing is a good thing. But did they get together again? You know, the uh, post-leprous, you know, guys group and they have this i don't know in the auditorium somewhere i don't know but was it the healing that the broke that broke the bond that they shared you know some if they don't hit rock bottom when they consider following god will just use him for what they can get out of him right i know a lot of people who they literally hit the bottom there's nothing left and they come to god and it's legit now don't get me wrong there are those that are in good seasons come to god And that's an awesome thing too because life is full of its distractions. But I wonder if they ever got together again after they were healed. 
It's an interesting conjecture. And E, the last one for this section is, did the nine go back to their lives and forget about God? I'm going to leave it with this one, but I've seen it, not a lot, but I've seen it enough as a pastor where a person, real time, right? Come to me, come to people in the church. I went to the doctor, got a blood test, got a scan, and they're panicking. And they want to pray more. They want to get involved more. They want to dedicate their lives to Jesus. And things are good for a few months. And then they go back to the surgeon or the doctor or the person who did the scan and they say, you're good, you're clean. Not leprosy, I haven't seen that, but I've seen other things. And they're gone. And they go back to their self-indulgent lifestyles. Shame on those people. If you're listening, shame on you. Because you're using God for what you can get out of Him. If there's a catalyst that brings us closer to God, God's desire is for us to have a relationship with Him. Is to have a bond. But we can, with our free will, we can pull away from that bond. We can. It's foolish, but we can do it. So, when you get close to God, stay close to God. In the good times and in the bad times, in the ups and the downs. This is a lifelong and eternity-long relationship. That's what God wants. Verse 17 through 19. Two out of four is gratefulness needed. And again, sometimes people come to God through these terrible crises as this one man did. Um, You know, I just need to say that even gratefulness versus thankfulness I actually looked it up. I thought there was a difference. Gratefulness is on a higher level. Thankfulness is, you are thankful. Could be temporary, could be fleeting. Gratefulness is more complex, and it's on a deeper level. Uh, I talked about forgiveness uh, this last Sunday, the Sunday before. There's a difference between, I'm sorry, because you don't want to get in trouble, versus true repentance, right? A lot of people say, I'm sorry. It's because they don't, they don't want there's too much heat right now. You know, so you've got to say something. But Jesus said to repent, to change, so you don't do that again. Right? A lot of good lessons here. Verse 19, Jesus said to the man, your faith has made you well. Now, I have to admit, I've, you know, this is why I say, I'm not one of these pastors that say, you should read a chapter every day. You can get a lot out of a few verses. And if you read the whole Bible but don't really absorb it, what's the sense? So I remember one time I was going to teach Proverbs 18 in the men's group. I only got through the first two verses. <laughs> so it's like, well, I got good information because they studied for the next one. But it, it, Proverbs 18 is actually quite powerful. So Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Now, when you go into the Greek, there's other I say nuances, right? Uh, so it, it can be translated, your faith has made you whole or complete. The Greek word also has an element of being saved, an element. It's very interesting, classical Greek, the Koine Greek, and how, it, uh, you, know, how, it, how you, you look into it and you look at the semantic range of each word. So this is important. And if I could paraphrase this with a more richer translation here is, to say to the leprous man, or the Samaritan better yet, is that sort of saying to the man, in essence, your nine friends went home and they're all healed. You're going to go home, 
not only healed, but having a relationship with the living God. That's powerful. So there was something that the Samaritan gained that the other nine did not. And this is something I have to explore. Your faith has made you well. Uh, back then, remember, we, we have the blessing. This is why we shouldn't take, it, uh, take advantage of it. We have the blessing of the entire 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. We can study it. We've been studying it for thousands of years, picking it apart, commentaries, Greek lexicon, Hebrew, Aramaic. Oh, it's so much fun. But back then, they had a limited amount of Scripture, right? But Jesus filled in the blanks for them. He often referred to the Old Testament. And the Gospel writers, like we're reading today, wrote of Jesus and what He did and what He taught so that we could be filled in as well. So the man, there was something going on in this man's heart. There was, to, to, to think about what I had just said about him going to the priest and instead of going home, going back and backtracking and find Jesus Christ. There was something... You ever, you ever feel something inside that's so powerful, but you can't really put your finger on what it is? I'm going to guess that that happened with this man. And Jesus was explaining to him what he was experiencing. He was experiencing salvation. Now, I don't think the man understood theology, especially as a Samaritan, uh, but Jesus filled in the blanks like he did in John 4 with the woman at the well. He started to fill in the blanks for her. Even Abraham, right in Romans 4, uh, we know some great things about Abraham, how faith, uh, it was justified by faith. And before the law, because Moses came later, before the circumstances, all these things. And I share this with my Jewish friends. I wonder if Abraham, when he went to be with God, and then Romans 4 was written about him, I wonder if he read it and said, wow, yeah, you know, I can see how all those things fit together. You know, and this is what God does. Right In uh, Isaiah, I, I don't want to say which chapter, I think it's one, where God says, I'm probably wrong on that, it's Isaiah, I know that for a fact, where God says, come, let us reason together. He gave us a big brain. Right? He gave us the cere cerebral cortex. He gave us the, all the different parts of the brain that reason. And He wants... See, here's the thing. This is the problem with evolution. When you study the brain and the uh, the amygdala and the hippocampus and the limbic system and the cerebral cortex and the frontal lobe and all the different parts of the brain. Somebody designed that thing. My goodness, somebody designed that thing. It is so, it's a supercomputer and it can, it can do neural digging. It has neuroplasticity. The brain can change to adapt to anything you want it to do. It's phenomenal. People who have uh, had traumatic injuries and they, they heal. So how would we think that over billions, you could give it trillions, like you could throw more zeros on it. It used to be millions of years. We're up to many billions because the scientists know that it's really more of a religion to believe that God doesn't exist. So the idea is if you put enough zeros at the end of the year, uh, maybe one day an apple can turn into an orange, but it can't, right? This is a complex system. And that's not, that doesn't even discount the, talking about the reproductive system, the immune system, my, and all these systems work together in real time, even while you're sleeping. So God created the complexity of the, of the human being and the human brain, the intellect, the will, the emotions. Where am I going? Pastor Joe, this is, I don't want to do a biology course on a Sunday morning. Uh, where I'm going with this is that the same ability He gave you to have a relationship with others, He wants that between you and Himself. He desires that. 
You go out every day, you have a, a relationship with your boss and your coworkers. You have a relationship with your family and your friends. You have a relationship with your children. And they're all different relationships and very complex. And you can do this all at the same time. And God's saying, just give me a little bit of time. He's saying, what about me? I created you. I gave you those things. You know, I just, and he's, he's a gentleman. He doesn't force us to do it. Man, relationship is so important, right? I, you, you can forget everything I said today, but understand that God wants a living relationship with you. And, and that's where Jesus, he even discounted religion. He didn't say go join a religion. He said, follow me. Let's reason together. Let's talk about this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's powerful stuff here. Um, yeah, so the Samaritan not only put his faith in God, and maybe he had to see a mirror to what he was experiencing, but he glorified God, he thanked God, and he engaged in a relationship with God the Son. Pretty powerful stuff. And the diamond of truth was found in a six-word phrase. Your faith has made you well. Now understand this, is that the Samaritan did not have faith in himself. He needed an object of that faith, and that object was God. And Jesus, in real time, in words, was expressing to him what was going on inside of him. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Jesus, he's God. He's the great psychologist. He's the great counselor. He's he's all these wonderful things. Faith is a vehicle to receive God's grace, his blessings, and his salvation. And the Samaritan had it. It started with the healing it went to gratefulness and it just it snowballed from there in a good way. Verse 21, which we're going to cover in the next section, is Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you to a different group of people. But the Samaritan had that ability with his reasoning, his free will, his emotions to come to Christ. And folks, I'm going to tell you this, is that you could, it doesn't matter what political spectrum you're on, you look at this country, everybody sees. You could be a liberal, you could be a a conservative, you could be a libertarian, you could be apolitical, you could be whatever, you could be an atheist. There's a problem in this country. There's a huge problem in this country. And it isn't going to be solved by the ways of men and women. I hate to say it. We need revival. Ask my wife. I pray for revival on a daily basis. We need a turning to God. We need repentance. We need thankfulness. We need faith. And nothing short of that on a large scale will stop some of the things we're seeing today. Amen? So these are good not only for the children of God, but also for those on the outside. Verse 20, last two verses that we're going to cover for today. It says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, which is a religious group, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say see here or see there for indeed the kingdom of god is within you so three out of four is a genuine question now i put it like that with a question mark because you know again nobody's a monolith i i don't like to stereotype and i don't care what group we're reading about i don't think anybody should do it right um so the pharisees largely had a corruption problem but there were some really good pharisees right nicodemus and others and you, you wonder sometimes when they ask Jesus the question, were they setting them up or were they genuinely asking? And if there's a group of them, each person might have a different motive for doing what they're doing. And for those that are not familiar with the Bible, is the, the, the echelon, the leadership of the Pharisees, their attitude was, 
Well, and this is true, the Old Testament speaks about the Messiah coming right prior to Christ as a lion, but also as a lamb, suffering servant, substitutionary death on the cross. So what happened was there were different groups that seized on certain scriptures. And the Pharisees largely were like, well, if you claim to be the Messiah, we want to see something military. We want to see you take out the Romans. So in essence, Jesus was going down to Jerusalem. Some were wondering, is he going to usher in the kingdom now? And in essence, they were saying to him, put up or shut up, make a decision. So here's the irony and strange bedfellows of this religious group. When they felt that they couldn't rely on Jesus to destroy Rome, they actually went backdoor to Rome to try to get Rome to destroy Jesus. <laughs> so you want to talk about playing both sides. And a person like that, the Bible says, is always unstable. However, the questions that were asked, he answered them in a way that actually helps us to, to understand what's going on. So the kingdom of heaven doesn't come with observation. This can literally be translated it doesn't come with hostile inspection. In other words, their scrutiny of Jesus... You know, it's an amazing thing. I said this during the Q&A. When you decide to follow a religion or a, a course of faith, is it something that suits your needs? Or is it something that's the truth? And those two can be mutually exclusive, right? So the Pharisees, and people do it today in America, they, they go shopping for religions. The Pharisees were looking for their Messiah to be a military conqueror. And they would accept nothing less, which is said because they missed, they missed the Messiah, right? So, um, you know, that's what's going on here. And, and let me just kind of put this all together. Four, God made salvation attainable. It's the most important thing that you're going to hear today if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't have an honest-to-goodness, regular relationship with the living God, God made salvation attainable. So, a few things. I'll go through the theology and exegesis first, and then we'll get into the application, which is the most fun part. So, the kingdom of God is within you can legitimately be translated two ways based on the context. They're subtle, but they're layered. So, A is the kingdom of God. It can be translated the kingdom of God. That word in the Greek is in your midst. Jesus could have been saying to the religious leaders, I'm right here. <laughs> right? A lot of people, there was something about Jesus. People either loved Him or drawn Him or, or viscerally hated Him. You know something's going on. He, he's something. He's not some average person. He's God the Son. He's God in the flesh. So the kingdom of God is in your midst. Referring to Himself as God the Son in the midst of faithless religious leaders. Isn't that ironic? Does every single religious leader in every church and synagogue, do they have faith? Is everyone a monolith? The answer is probably no. So you had these faithless guys who were looking for you know, the kingdom to come so they wouldn't have to deal with Rome anymore, missing the resurrections, the healings, and all this kind of stuff. It's in your midst. It can also be translated, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, this also could be a reference to a later sealing of the Holy Spirit in every believer. Remember uh, Jesus' discussion with the head, one of the head Pharisees in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. This isn't pantheism, it's not polytheism, it isn't Shirley MacLaine's I Am God on the, on the beach. Uh, this is a personal... Yes, I, I watched that video, it was so weird. Um, it was a personal relationship with the living God. So God the Son was in the midst of them. God the Holy Spirit was within them later, 
as people accepted Christ. Now, I just want to, on a side note, exegesis, these are from my Bible students. The translators did a wonderful job with this version. I, I would say also the NIV, the King James. There's just some, as, as um, languages evolve and change, the translation has to meet the changes in the language. It, God's Word didn't change, right? So in other words, uh, charity a few hundred years ago really meant love. When you did charity, you gave people food to starving people, you gave them clothes. Today, oh, charity, oh, I write a check for 50 bucks and I can deduct it on my taxes. Our language has changed. It doesn't mean the same thing that it meant four or 500 years ago. No way, no how. So the Bible translators have to say, well, these English words have changed, so we have to, we have to take the same Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic words and fit them with an understanding, right? We don't use the old English and all that stuff anymore. So when I talk about a translation issue, it's legitimate. It's all legit. But what I do is I try to bring out the nuances, the, some of the flavor of some of these uh, changes in the semantic range that really make the understanding pop. That's my job, okay? All that being said is that salvation and relationship with God is attainable. If you came here seeking truth, if you came here seeking help, if you came here seeking to get away from your old life that you want to get away from, your past, whatever it is, now that you've found the truth, not in me, not in this church, but in Jesus Christ, in His Word, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to walk away again? Or are you going to pursue Him with everything you have, with all of your life, like that one Samaritan did after he got healed? For the religious leaders, they rejected God the Son because they, He didn't do what they expected from Him. What about you? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. And 3.17 is important. I'm starting to quote that with 16 because, because it's very important. It says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Wait a minute, Pastor Joe. I heard a, a, a street preacher that pointed at me and said, I'm going to hell. How does he know that? Let me, read, let me do 17 again. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him, through the Son, the world might be saved. This world's a mess. Have you read the paper this morning? Have you checked your internet news? This world is a mess, including this country. Jesus is the Coast Guard cutter as the ship is sinking of this present world. Are you going to, you're going to jump? Are you going to be rescued? Or are you just going to go down with the ship and say, well, it's a little bit of water. It's only a few inches. There's a big hole in the hull, guys. That's the world we're living in. So what are you going to do? Salvation is attainable now. It's something that can be received today. But you have free will. God loves you so much, he, He made you a free moral agent. It's your choice what you're going to do now that you have been given the understanding of who the true God is. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages. 
in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.